With Hashem's assistance, we learn about Bakama Daf Tzadiches, page ninety-eight. We begin four lines in at the end of the line. Amar Rabbah, Rabbah says, "Hazerik matbeshal chaver lemagodol." If someone throws his friend's coin into the sea, putter. So there's no obligation to pay for that. My time. What's the reason? Amar hamanach kama, because you can say to him, "It's right in front of you. There it is. Go get it." So in Rashi, he says that even though he can't personally get it, and he has to hire somebody, a diver, to jump into the water to get it. Nevertheless, so the, the money that has to pay the diver, that's called a grumma binizagin, that's called a, an indirect loss, and a, and a grumma binizagin, when it comes to damages that are indirect, you don't have to pay for that. So if he wants, he can take it. That's talking about where the waters are clear and you can see where the coin has fallen, you can see the coin. It's visible. And if the waters are murky, where it's not visible, so then he wouldn't be able to get out of it, he has to pay for it. And this is we're talking about as a case where he, the, the man who lost the coin, so was holding, he was holding it in his hand, and then his friend comes along and knocks it out of his hand by hitting his hand on, from underneath. But if he took the coin in his hand and threw it into the water, so that's considered he's stolen it. And therefore he has to do a returning. If you actually steal something, you have to return it. But here he just hit it out of his hand. That's not called stealing. Masif Rabbi asks the following question. In regards to taking the second tithe money, let's say you have fruits, so you want to transfer the holiness onto money so that you can bring the money to Jerusalem because the fruits may rot in the meantime. So you want to transfer it onto the money. So if the money is not in your possession, so you can't transfer it onto that money. Okay, so what's the case? How you learn Moise Let's say you have the money in a place which is very difficult to get to, it's very dangerous to get there. Melech on the king's mountain. For example, where his purse fell into the sea. So you can't transfer it onto there. So we see that when the money is thrown into the sea, so it's not considered accessible. So why is it not considered that you stole it? Actually, it's not considered that it's too far away. However, in regards to Meiser, when it comes to transferring the holiness of the tithe, so you need an extra level. Because the verse says, as we're going to see, that it needs to be in your hand. What does the Torah say? That you have to bring the money that's in your hand. And that's missing. So when you're transferring it into, onto money, the money has to be readily available. So even though theoretically it's not considered lost, when it's in the sea, nevertheless, it's not considered readily available. We have another statement of Rabbi. If somebody ruins the mintage of his friend's coin, Potter, there's no obligation to pay. My time was the reason. Because he hasn't uh, made any loss. Here's the coin right in front of you. That's speaking about where you hit it with a hammer and you flattened it. But if, let's say, you used a file to take off the picture, let's say, on the coin, so there you've caused a loss and then you would have to pay. Massive Rabbi. Rabbi asks the following question. If, you, if someone hits his slave on his eye, didn't actually knock out the eye, but he caused him to become blind, or he hits him on his ear, becomes deaf, so the slave goes out free. If he did it next to his eye, but and now he can't see. Did it next to his ear, now he doesn't hear. So the slave does not go out free. So what do we see? We see that even though there hasn't created a loss, the eye is still there, but now it can't see. So it's similar to our case where someone hit the coin, where the coin no longer can be used, even though there's nothing left here. Nevertheless, we see in the case of the eyes, consider that you've done something. So what's the understanding of Rabbah? So the says, Rabbah the Actually, Rabbah according to his own reasoning, to Amar Rabbah, because Rabbah says, in regards to a slave, even though you haven't really done too much, the truth is that you have done something. As we see, it's like this, If someone causes his father to become deaf, he is killed. Because Rabbah holds that it's impossible to cause someone to become deaf without creating some kind of wound. A drop of blood definitely fell inside of his ear.
So therefore, in regards to a slave, where someone knocked on his ear, or he knocked his eyes, so even though it looks like nothing happened, something did happen, there was an actual loss, and that's why the slave was out free. But in regards to a coin, where you took a hammer and you smashed in the coin until it's flat, so there the coin is completely there, just as it was before. It just doesn't look the same. So that's not considered a direct cause of damage. Rabbi says another statement. If you cause a blemish to the ear, let's say you knock off a piece of the ear of your friend's cow, there's no obligation to pay. Why? My This cow still can do its job without that piece of his ear. To lay off it's not considered that you've done anything significant. There's no payment. The only place that it would have a significance is if you were bringing this on the altar to, as a korban, as a sacrifice. And most animals are not going to be brought for that. So therefore, you don't have to pay for the damages. Massive Rav asks a question on this. If someone takes the waters which are supposed to be used for sprinkling the ashes of the red heifer, so and he uses it for some other purpose, so it disqualifies it. Or if someone takes the actual red heifer itself and uses it for some purpose, so then again it disqualifies it. But nevertheless, there's no obligation on the person, there's no obligation to pay for any monetary value, even though you've completely disqualified it, there's a tremendous value to this red heifer, it's very rare. Nevertheless, there's no obligation to pay monetarily, but as far as the heavens are concerned, you have done something wrong. Only in regards to doing some action with it, for instance, using it to plow, then there's no obligation to pay monetarily because you don't see what you've done, you don't see the damage to the animal. But if let's say you knocked off a piece of the ear, where it is clear that you've damaged it, the implication is that there would be an obligation to pay even for monetary value. So it's a kasha on Rabbah, because Rabbah said that there's no obligation for such a thing. So the more answer is Amri, we said, that even if we're talking about a case where you blemished the animal's ear, there still will be no obligation to pay for any kind of damages. And so why is it specifically talking about a case which is where you worked it? That it's, it could be that it's true, that really both of them are true. Even if you knock off a piece of its ear, or whether you do the malacha, we do work with it, there still will be an obligation. But the chiddush is, the novelty is, that even in a case where you've done some kind of work with it, you don't see the damage that was caused, nevertheless, there is an obligation as far as the heavens are concerned, because you could have thought, listen, you can't even see that, the, that any damage was done, maybe as far as the heavens are concerned, I haven't done any damage. That's what's coming to teach you, that no, there is an obligation as far as the heavens are concerned. And Rabbi says another statement, If someone burns up a document of his friend, Potter, so there's no obligation to pay for whatever was actually written on the document. If let's say the document said that someone owed this person a thousand dollars, he doesn't have to pay him a thousand dollars. Because he can say to him, All I did was burn your paper. Rabbi Barchama asks the following question, What's the case? We turn to Tzadik Chasim Abbas, page 98 b If there are witnesses who know what was written inside of the document, So then let them write a brand new document. If there are no witnesses, How could we possibly know what was written in the document? How could we even have a havmin? How could we entertain a possibility that there would be an obligation to pay? How would we know? Amar Rabbi Sarabbi says, The case is talking about, even if, let's say, the person who burnt the shtar, who burnt the document, believes the person whose document belonged to, how much was written in it, nevertheless, there's not going to be any obligation for him to pay the value that was written into it. Amar Dimi Barchanin, Rav Dimi Barchanin says, this statement of Rava Machlaikis, Rav Shimon Rabbanan is actually an argument between Rav Shimon and the sages. He it is. According to Rav Shimon, so we find that he says that anything that represents money is considered like the money itself. So according to him, so there'd be an obligation to pay for burning someone's document that says on it that someone owes this person money. According to the sages who say that something that represents money is not considered money, so then there will be no obligation to pay for this burnt document. So Rav Huna, Brader of Yeshua, asks the following question on this past statement. 
When does Rabbi Shimon say that if you have something that represents money, it's considered like money? But in regards to something that it originally had value, now it doesn't have value, but it represents value. What's the case? Like Rabbah, the Amar Rabbah, Rabbah says, If somebody steals a loaf of bread, let's say, Ruvain has a loaf of bread. Shimon comes along and steals it before Pesach, before Passover. And then a third party, Levi comes along, takes the bread that Shimon stole, and he burns it. And, but he burns it at the time when it's supposed to be burnt on Erev Pesach. Pater. So then Levi has an obligation to pay back the Gazlin, the person who stole it, Shimon, even though Shimon does have an obligation to pay back the person he stole it from, Ruvain. Why? There's no obligation on Levi who burnt it to pay for it because everyone has an obligation to burn it. Pesach. Let's say the burning occurred by Levi after Passover had already passed over. So that's where the argument between Rabbi Shimon and the Rabbanon is. According to Rabbi Shimon who says that something that represents money is considered like money, meaning in this case, so the Gazlan, the person who stole it, Rashi explains, so he has the rights to say to the person that he stole it from, even though the bread has no value now, because it's passed through Passover, and any, if you have bread that passes through Passover, it has no value, you can't use it, you can't have any benefit from it. Despite that, the, the person who stole it can say to the person he stole it from, take your thing as is. And as we explained previously, you can't see that anything has changed here in this bread, even though it's become forbidden. So now since the Gazan, the person who stole it, can give this thing back as it is, oh, it has a value to him. It's saving him the $10 that he would have had to pay for the loaf of bread if the bread wasn't here anymore. So even though it doesn't have any intrinsic value, it has value to the Gazan, the one who stole it. So now according to Rabbi Shimon, Chayiv, there's an obligation for the person who burnt it, Levi, to pay back the Gazan, the person who stole it, because he's taken something that represents value, doesn't have value on its own, but it represents value, being that he could use it to pay back with, and therefore there's an obligation to pay. According to the sages who say that something which represents value, it's not considered like value, it's not considered like money. So, potter. So, therefore, there's no obligation on the person who burnt it. But, so that's only something which itself, so it originally had value, that bread originally had value. But if it's something like a document which never had value, it just represents value, so there it could be Rabbi Shimon would agree that you don't have to pay for the value of the document, being that the document itself intrinsically has no value. Amar says, For those who do judge, when we're talking about an indirect damage, and there are different levels of indirectness, but this is a more direct level of indirectness. So according to those who do judge such a case, and they say that there is an obligation to pay for slightly indirect damage, and the Shita Rashi says is Rabbi Meir, So in, in this case, they would require that you pay for whatever the value of the document was, meaning whatever the document represented. Those who argue on Rabbi Meir, so they hold that you do not have to pay for an indirect damage. All they require is that you pay for the actual Value of the piece of paper. Hava Uvdu, there was a story of Kafi Ra from the Rav Ashi, and Ra from forced Rav Ashi to pay for a document that he had burned when he was a child. And he made him pay the full value. Kishur Latama means a beam used for etched drawings. It means like a very chosh, a very important beam. So he made him pay his full value of the original star, the original document that had been destroyed. We said in the Mishnah that if you have stolen bread, and Passover passes over it, even though it's forbidden to use anymore, you can still say to them, take your thing as is. Who's the one who says in regards to something which is forbidden from getting benefit from it, that you can say to them, take your thing as is. If an ox had killed someone, before they completed the sentence, sentencing the animal to death, if the owner tries to sell it, it's considered sold. If you donate it to the temple, it's considered donated. 
if he slaughtered the Pesari Mutter, so it's permitted to eat the flesh. If the person who is watching it returns it to his owner, Muxer, it's considered returned. Misha named Mardina, but once it's already been sentenced to the death, Machar in a you can't sell it. Hektesha in a Muktesh, you can't donate it to the temple. Shachta Vistara Asr, if you slaughtered it so you can't eat the meat. Hechzera is Shamar the Bailov in a Muxer. If the person who is watching it tries to return it to the owners, it's not considered that he returned it because he has to return an animal that he received, and he received an animal that was permitted to get benefit from. This animal he can't get benefit from. Even if it had already been sentenced to death, the person who's watching it can still return it to its owners. Maybe this is what they're arguing about. The Rabbi Yaakov Savar, the Yaakov holds, why can this Shomer, the person who's watching it, return it to its owners, even though it's forbidden from getting benefit from? Because you can say in regards to something which is forbidden, take your thing as is. That you can't say in regards to something which is forbidden to get benefit from it, that uh, take your thing as is. Maybe that's the understanding. So Rabbi says, No, it's not true. Everyone agrees that in regards to a case where it's forbidden to get any benefit from it, you can say, take your thing as is. And I'll prove to you that, that it's true. Because if it wasn't true, they could have argued in our case, which is in regards to where someone stole something which is chametz, and then, which was bread, and then Passover pass over it. Actually, the argument has to do with if the ox is not in front of us in the court when we're sentencing it to death, is it possible to do such a sentencing? The sages hold that you're not allowed to sentence an ox to death if it's not here. And therefore, the person who is the owner of the animal who is being watched for can say to the person who's watching it, If you had brought it back to me before it had been decreed that it should die, I would have brought it to a place where it couldn't be accessed by the court. But now it's been in your hands, and I can't, I can't even get anything out of you. So it's your fault that this animal is now being lost, and therefore he has a legitimate claim. And therefore the person who is the shomer, the person who's watching it, cannot return the animal as is. He has to pay him. Rabbi Yaakov said, Rabbi Yaakov holds, In fact, that if the ox is not around, the court still can't convene and sentence the ox to death. The amarle, and therefore the person who's watching it can say to the owner, "My avdilite, what would you have done?" Meaning he can say to him, "I'm going to give you back the animal because." even if you had had it before you wouldn't have done anything better safe safe have a gamri dino in any event you could have sent it off to the agma to a place where they couldn't access this animal and they still would have sentenced this animal to death and he says to him, Did you learn anything in regards to things that are forbidden from getting benefit from them? He says to him, Yes, we have a price. The verse says, He shall return the stolen object. What does the Torah have to say that he stole? It's extra words. This is teaching you have to return the original thing that was stolen. From here they taught, If let's say someone stole a coin and it became... Uh, no longer in circulation, or fruits, and they became rotten, wine, it became vinegar, uh, something that's the coin's food, it became impure, unusable, you have bread, and, and Pesach, Passover, an animal that a sin was done with it, or an ox, before it's been sentenced to death, so you can say to him, that uh, take your animal as is, take your thing as is. It's considered the original thing. So here the indication is only before the animal has been sentenced to death, only then can you say that you can take it back as is. But if it's already been sentenced to death, you can't. So who's the one that says that? Rabbanan, it's the sages. What else does it say there? Then in regards to chametz, a piece of bread, that Pesach passed over it, he can say to him, take your thing as is. 
So therefore we see that according to the sages, so they say that in regards to an animal which has been sentenced to death, the reason has nothing to do with it being a forbidden thing from getting any benefit from, because if so, then it should be the same Allah in regards to chametz, in regards to bread that had passed over Passover. So from that we see that according to the sages, it has nothing to do with that. So it's a question on what Rav Chizah said previously. So Rav Chizah turns to Rabbi Bashmul, told him this b'risa and says, If you see the sages that I was arguing with, don't tell them about this b'risa, because they're just going to make fun of me when they find out that this b'risa is clearly not, not like what I said. We said on this b'risa that if you have fruits that got rotten, so you can say to him, take your thing as is. We have in our mission, that if you have fruits that got rotten, you have to pay based on the original value. So Rav Papa says, It depends how many of the fruits had become rotten. If some of them became rotten, and not all of them, so you can give them back the fruits as is. But if most of them became rotten, or all of them became rotten, so then you can't give them back as is, you have to pay based on the original value. We begin the Mishnah. Let's say you give something to a craftsman in order to fix it, and instead he destroys it, so there's an obligation on the person who destroyed it to pay. Let's say you gave to a carpenter different types of boxes, in order to fix them, and he destroyed them, he has to pay. Let's say you have a person who is a construction worker. He accepted it upon himself to take down a wall. But instead of just taking down the wall and leaving the stones, perhaps for him to be able to use the stones for something else, he destroyed the stones, or he, or he damaged them. So he has to pay. Let's say he was pulling it down from one side, and from a different side a stone fell, and it got destroyed, it got ruined. So there's no obligation to pay, because it wasn't a direct damage. But if it was a direct damage, it was because of the hitting that he was doing, then there is an obligation. We begin the Gemara. Ravasi says, This that we're talking about where you give this carpenter this box, that you meant that you should place into it some nails, and while he was doing that, so he broke the box. Eight sim lasi shida table made. Well, let's say he gave to the carpenter these pieces of wood in order to make a box. Vasamim shida, and in fact he made a box. Table migdol. Vishiv, and then he broke the box. Pater, there's no obligation. My time, what's the reason? Umin kind of beshevachli. Because what happens is the person who's making it, so he's acquired it as he's making it, and therefore the destruction that he caused to the thing that he made is not necessary for him to pay. All he has to give back is the value of the original wood. Tznam, we learned in a Mishnah. Nasan the umin vikilkalu. If let's say you gave something to a craftsman and he destroyed it, so there's an obligation to pay. My love, perhaps the case is the Yavla who ate him that you gave him wood and then he made a box and then he destroyed it. No. So the Gemara says, Loi. No, it's not a proof. She did table. Migdal is actually talking about where you gave him a box. So the Gemara says, Hold on, hold on a second. Can you say it from the fact that it says in the end of the Mishnah, She did table Migdal, that we have a case where you gave him a box. So we can deduce that the first case is talking about where you gave him wood. Amri, so we say, No, it's not a good proof. That we can say that the second part of the Mishnah is coming to explain the first part of the Mishnah. As follows, Kate said, In what case, if you give to a craftsman to fix, is there an obligation for him to pay if he destroys it? The cases where you gave a carpenter a box to fix. That actually makes sense. The case of Gautani, that this is what it means, that it's explaining with the second part, the first part. If you would think that the first part of the mission is talking about a case where he gave him wood, if we had already said that in the case where he gave him wood, he made a box, and there's still an obligation to pay when he destroys the box. And we don't say that the woman, the craftsman, has acquired it as he makes it into a box. Would there be a chiddish if we already 
you find in that case that there's an obligation in the case where you, he has a box, certainly he has an obligation to pay. So it's clear that the second case is a continuation of the first case. So Gemara says, hold on a second. That's not a good proof to the fact that these are two different cases. Because it could be Tana that we said the second case, so you'll understand what the first case is talking about. That you shouldn't think that the first case in the Mishnah, which is vague, maybe that's talking about where he gave him a box of al and not where he gave him wood. So therefore, it says in the second case, the case of a box, that's what was given, and therefore we could deduce theoretically that the first case is talking about where he gave him wood. Nevertheless, there would be an obligation to pay. So therefore, you can't say that from the fact that we have a case of lesser novelty, therefore it's a proof that it's a continuation of the first case, it could be not a proof. But it's important to understand here that we're not saying for sure that it's, that it's not two separate cases, but it could very well be that it's one long case. However, it's not a proof ironclad that it is one case.